0: Welcome to the Coaching DNA podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. My guest this week is Rob Vaughn. Rob is the baseball coach at the University of Alabama. This is part one of a three part conversation with Rob. During part one of my conversation, we discussed the most influential person in his life, finding his leadership voice and beliefs. Areas of growth and much much more. Prior to Alabama, Rob did a great job at University of Maryland. He's super sharp and really relational. So, without further ado, my conversation with Rob Vaughn. Rob, man, thanks for uh, creating space for us this morning. Why don't you walk us through your journey from high school to present day?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, grew up just just north of Houston, Texas, in a in a town called Humble. Uh, played baseball there. Had a lifelong dream of of playing at Texas A&M. That's where my dad played in the late 60s and um, grew up going to A&M football games. Grew up going to A&M baseball games. That was always my dream. But, you know, at the time I was 5'10", 165 pounds as a catcher and I remember having a conversation. It was this is prior to Rob Childress getting their legendary head coach, Mark Johnson. Very, very good baseball guy. Um, But I didn't fit the stereotypical mold of a catcher. You know, I was I was a small guy. I was undersized and, you know, it was basically like, Rob, we really like you. Um, But you're just not you're just not big enough to catch for us here. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And in. You know, Sean McCann, who's now with with Tony Vitello over at Tennessee as their video coordinator, was a recruiting coordinator at Kansas State. And he uh he basically went through a lot of stuff. And I tell you it was a hard sell, man. My my high school girlfriend was going to Texas AM when McCann pulled up for a home visit at my house. I have a Texas AM baseball sticker on the back of my truck and He's like, man, we're just wasting our time here. But, man, anybody that knows McCann can tell you that guy can sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, he's as good as it gets with that. And, um, you know, really sold me on the idea of Kansas State. And and I think whatever young person wants is what maybe at the time I didn't know. But this desire and this craving to, to be wanted and this craving of somebody to believe in you um, – and so, you know, went up there and and uh, fell in love with it, fell in love with the town, fell in love with the school. Um, and we had a great experience, man. It was it, – it's what we all want for our players, right? It's This is the days before the transfer portal. This is the days before all this craziness. And, man, my first three years up there were a grind. I, I played a lot, but, but I didn't have a ton of personal success. Our team was average at best. You know, we – we did some good things, but we're never consistent enough. And, and, um, and so it was just one of those things where you're working through things, you're, you're learning, you're getting better. And, you know, one thing I tell my guys all the time is failure is a prerequisite to success. And we didn't, we didn't want that, but I think that built, built us into what we did in 2009 in our last year there. Um, and that's going to a regional for the first time in school history. And at the time having the best season in school history, um, and one of the biggest people that I think is influential and in that's a guy named Andy Sawyers, you know, sawdog is what we call him Is sawdogs, a head coach down at, um, down at Southeast Missouri state now. And, you know, he, he had kind of grown up and through the coaching profession, had just got done coaching um, alongside Rob Childress. He'd gotten done coaching alongside Matt, Matt Deggs and working, working with Matt down there. And um, man, he came up to K-State in 09 and, More than anything, it was one of the first coaches I had had in my life that that really challenged you, but loved you at the same time. And I know that's a weird dichotomy, a little bit there. But um, I was a good kid. I was the the easy kid for coaches to like. I never got screamed at. I always did the right thing. I was a pretty rule following, easy kid. And I'll never forget the day that he stood up in front of our entire team and challenged me and asked me when I was going to when I was going to uh, stop being average because I was just willing to accept being average and. He's like, Rob, you're too good for that. When are you going to quit accepting that? And that kind of launched everything into what would come over the next 15 years for me. Um, and I think Sawyers knew how to push your buttons and challenge you. But he, the one thing you never doubted is how much that dude loved you and how much he believed in you. And I think that's what we saw in 09. We needed to we needed to be believed in. we had struggled the year before. And and man, Sawdog did that in in I'm not in coaching doing what I'm doing now if it's not for that guy. I mean, I was ready to quit baseball after my junior year. I was not in a good place. And and that dude came in and kind of transformed everything in my life from there on out. And, you know, got a chance to play pro ball for two years. And played with the White Sox in the minor league organizations and backed up a guy named Miguel Gonzalez, who was an 18-year-old eighteen, Venezuel- 18 year old Venezuelan kid that was way better than I was and <laughs> knew that my my career as a professional baseball player wasn't going to be too long, um, and, you know, and got a chance to go back. Brad Hill offered me a position to go back on his staff as at the, at the time as a student assistant, basically to finish my degree um, and to get my foot into college coaching. And at the time, I was playing up in – Great Falls, Montana with the White Sox rookie ball team. And I sat down with my manager, Chris Krohn. I said, hey, here's the situation. I got to be back before school starts if I'm going to do this. Um, what do you think? And <laughs> He lovingly told me, like, Rob, you ain't going to play in the big leagues. You know, he said, I think you could be a good backup catcher in double A. And then we're going to convince you to try to start coaching in our in our organization. So if they're going to pay for your college degree. Go get your foot in the door and get to work. And. I can't thank him enough for his honesty and his genuineness and willingness to have that conversation with me. And so I went back to K-State and, you know, within the course of a couple months, went from the student assistant to the volunteer. Our volunteer got a job at Northern Colorado. Then they bumped another guy into the volunteer role. He got a job in Oakland at University of Oakland up in Michigan. And within two weeks, I went from student assistant to the volunteer and and um and loved it. I coached alongside, you know, Brad Hill, who gave me my first shot there and then you know, and then Sawdog left to go back to Texas AM as an assistant coach. And, um, John Sheff came in and John Sheff came over from the University of Kansas. Long story short, he, he recruited me out of high school when he was at Louisiana Lafayette. It ended up being Lafayette or, um, or K State. I went on my visit to K State, fell in love with it, never made it there. And the day I called Sheff to tell him, Hey, I'm going to K State, he's like, Yeah, you know, probably a good thing. We got our guy anyway. That guy was Jonathan LaCroix, who had a, pretty good big league career. So I think they made a made a good decision in passing on Rob Vaughn in that instance there. But it comes full circle. Chef's back at at K-State with me and him and I work alongside each other for for 2 years there and um got really close. You know just guys that know John Chef, he's just man, he's he's relentless in what he does. He's a great person. Um and I was kind of his right-hand guy for a couple years and you know after 2 years there I knew for my coaching career, I probably needed to to take a step outside of that. And everybody in my coaching tree the the Sawyer's, the Childress, the Degs, all those people that I kind of came up in underneath was you go cut your teeth in junior college baseball. You know, you go recruit, you go to JUCO, you do that, then you have a chance to come back and be an assistant. I remember Sawyer's telling me he's like, "Rob, you're you're my guy. And if I got a head job today, I would not hire you because you haven't recruited. You need to go cut your teeth." So. I was getting ready to go to Pratt Community College. I had talked to their head coach a couple of times and and uh, was going to go be the hitting coach at Pratt. I'd got off the phone with him and it was basically like, hey, I think the job's yours. Why don't you come down and spend a couple of days with me down here? Let's kind of see how we we mesh together. And if it works, let's roll. So I was getting ready to pack up my house in Manhattan. And my wife and I were getting ready to move down to, to Pratt. And about that time, Coach Chef got the job up at Maryland and he called me and he's like, Rob, I want to fly you and Kaylee out. And I said, Coach, I just I want to be real with you. Like, is this am I a candidate? Because if I'm a candidate, we'll get on the plane. We'll come up. We'll interview. We'll do that. Or are you just flying us out so that we can check it out and see what we think? Um, and he's like, oh, no, no. The job's yours. Like, if you want, I just want I figured you and Kaylee would want to see it. I was like, Coach, I'm just telling you, I don't know what College Park, Maryland looks like but I know what Pratt, Kansas looks like. Oh, <laughs> let's go. I'm in. Let's, let's do this thing. So I got on a plane or I got in my truck actually and drove two days across country, um, met him over there and, you know, had a, had a great experience. I worked for him for five years. Um, you know, met probably my best friend and Jimmy Bellinger, who's the pitching coach at Clemson. Now him and I were both young. He was coming from Monmouth. I was coming from, from K state. And, you know, we didn't, didn't know each other at all, but, Man, we lived in the same apartment complex in Annapolis. So him and I, I mean, we're we're the young assistants making no money. So we're driving in together, saving money on gas. So I'd pick him up one day and we'd drive to work the next day, he'd pick me up. And and to this day, that's my guy. I mean, we probably talk once or twice a week. He's one of my one of my very best friends. And uh, but we kind of got things rolling there. You know, Coach Backage, who had just left to go to Michigan, had done a phenomenal, phenomenal job of kind of leaving the cupboard pretty full we had really talented players just really young players and kind of built on that went to the first regional since 1972 and in 2014 um and knocked off south carolina at their place to advance to a super against virginia um 2015 turn around and do it again you know we're one of the last four teams in we go out to ucla they're the number one seed in the country at that time and we knocked them off at their place and go back to a super again, unfortunately, at Virginia. That's the year they ended up winning the whole thing. Um, but but it done some good things. And then when Coach Chef got a chance to to kind of take the next step, he left and went to Virginia Tech. And, you know, I I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to go with him. I didn't know if there was going to be another job opportunity. I didn't know if I'd have a shot at the job at Maryland. And went in and had a conversation with our AD at the time, Kevin Anderson, and laid out this is my vision for the program. This is what I think we're capable of doing here. Um, and and I, I believe we can win at a really high level here. And, you know, I was 29 years old. I, 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 I didn't feel any entitlement to deserving that job. But fortunately, Kevin gave me an opportunity, you know, and and got the head job there at Maryland when I was 29 in in the fall of, or in the summer of uh, 2017. Um And shoot, that was, that's when things got real. You know, you have, you think, you know, the ins and outs, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm young. Yeah. I like all these things. And God bless. We were bad. Like we were not good. My first year, we were 24 and 30. Um, I was kind of lost in my coaching journey, trying to figure out who I was, what kind of coach I wanted to be and all these things. And we weren't very good. And, you know, that kind of led to us really taking a deep dive. and. You know, one of my favorite books is a book from uh, Pete Carroll called Win Forever. And, you know, in that book, he talks about, I mean, that dude was a failed NFL head coach, turned into super successful at USC, and then obviously now back with the Seahawks. But, um, talks about writing your vision down. What is your program built on? All these things about putting it on paper and went through the process of doing that. And the next year, we were 29 and 29. You know, the following year, we were off to a good start, and then COVID hit. Um, and then, and then the following year, we kind of rebuilt it back up and and had, you know, three really, really good years in a row. The second second of which we hosted a regional for the first time in school history, um, went to three straight regionals, um, you know, set a lot of records um, and a lot of different things. So, you know, was was in a pretty good spot there. And, and I tell you what I loved. I loved Maryland and I will for our shoot. You can see I'm probably my thing behind me. I've got all sorts of Maryland memorabilia behind me. I mean, what a great what a great place what a great community what great people um you know and i had i had an ad that ended up taking over for kevin named De- damon evans and damon gave me plenty of leash and lord knows i needed it you know we weren't good early we were 24 and 30 and a lot of people will see the 29 year old and they're not playing well it's like hey this failed experiment didn't work go get the next guy and mm-hmm. he kept giving me opportunities and, and we slowly built that thing into something pretty special and you know, I, I really wasn't looking to leave. I mean, I, I was very happy there. We were cemented in, in Annapolis, had a had a great community of people, great church family, great people around us, and and weren't really looking to leave. And and I got a call from Greg Byrne, the AD here at Alabama, after we won, um, you know, after we won the Big Ten over at Penn State. And I remember walking out of the basement and telling my wife, my like, babe, I'm going to take this call, but nah, we're good. And you know, if you haven't spent any time with Greg, it takes you about five minutes to to learn what a special dude that is. And he's authentic, he's real. Um, and that really came through. And And we, we kind of started this process of, of getting to know each other and him kind of laying out his vision for Alabama baseball, me laying out mine and, and lo and behold, two and a half, three weeks later, um, you know, I got an opportunity to come down here and, and take over this program. So, um, extremely extremely proud of where I've come from. You know, the people that have been in my life. My life was on a very different trajectory before 2000 the fall of 08 when I met Andy Sawyers. And mm. to see where it's kind of come now is is pretty exciting. And you know, I know shoot, we're we're in the lions then now. I know I know what we got down here, but man, I'm a believer in culture and development. That's what I care about. That's what I love. That's what I love doing. And and it's been a heck of a heck of a few months and we're just getting started. So so that's kind of it's kind of how we got here. It's been some ups and some downs, and some being in the right place at the right time, and surrounding yourself with the right people. And you know, very very fortunate to be where we are today.
0: Love it, really good. Okay, I'm to I'm gonna uh, pull out a couple threads. Um, the one that really intrigues me is um trying to figure out who I was you said after kind of that first year how did you go about figuring out who you were and your your leadership voice and all that i know you read the the book um win forever but yeah what give us insight into that process
1: no it's a it's a great question so you know i i think i looked at all <clears throat> excuse me the head coaches that i'd worked for before brad hill being number one brad hill gave a ton of autonomy to to Andy Sawyers and John Chef when he was there. He kind of he did it at a high level. Shoot, that guy's very, very successful head coach, but was more kind of your CEO mm. slash team defense coach. That was kind of his role and his passion, and he was great at it. Um, then I worked, you know, for John Chef. John Chef very much the same way, like not hands off by any means, but gave a ton of autonomy to his assistants like when we'd be out there hitting, it was me and our volunteer coaching the hitters. And, you know, Chef would be probably squatting somewhere because that guy's as physical as it gets. He's probably working right. out doing deadlifts or something. But um, but he w- wouldn't even really generally be around when we do our early hitting stuff and then would, would come in when team practice started. And so in my head, that's what I'd seen. That's what head coaches do. When you get to this role, you just give it all to these guys and you kind of sit back and manage. And... You know, so year one, I had a I had a new hitting coach and in, in Matt Swope is who I hired, who was my director of operations at the time, who's now the new head coach at Maryland. Um and just like I was adapting to a new role as a head coach, he was adapting going from ops guy who had a lot of knowledge and is a baseball lifer and is an elite player to how do we apply that? How do I communicate that? And so while I'm growing in my role, he was growing in his role. And I think we would both tell you in 2017, 2018, neither one of us were very good at either one of our jobs, you know, because we were still trying to figure out our way. And even though him and I had kind of been side-by-side friends and known each other for five years, we hadn't worked in those roles together. And so, you know, year one, I kind of was like, okay, Swope, the hitters years, go. And and there was some growing pains with that, as is he, and he would tell you, you know, like I've watched that guy go from what would I would call a really poor communicator at the beginning of his thing, tons of knowledge, extremely intelligent, great with people, but not an awesome communicator to a guy that can get up in front of three thousand people now and give a speech that you're hooked into and you can't yeah. let go of that's and cool. that's why he is who he is, that's why he's incredible at what he does, and why Maryland's gonna went at a really high level under his leadership. Um, But we were both figuring that out. And I think our first year, we didn't hit. We weren't very good. We had always hung our hat on offense and, and just weren't. And him and I sat down after the year and, you know, I'm reading tons of books. I love reading. You can see behind, I got my laundry list of books back here. Like Simon Sinek starts with why that was one of the first books I really dove into and, and, Got with that, you know. Pete Carroll's Win Forever was probably the first book that Sawyer's actually gave me. That book and said, "Read this." Um, I'd gone through all this stuff, so you have all these ideas. But I, what I what I didn't factor in is what I love doing is beyond the being on the field and coaching kids. Yeah. That's why I got into this job not not to manage. I wasn't ready to pull back, and maybe at some point in my career I will be. But I wanted to be kind of boots on the ground, involved with our guys and what's funny is my probably because a lot of my background a lot of my passion on the offensive side is revert is kind of revolves around approach, plan, swing decisions, all of that stuff I probably because I'm not as good at it. I never love the mechanic and the movements and all of that stuff. But the beauty of it is Swope was obsessed with that stuff. Yeah. And so he was super into that and not as much over here. So what we learned is after year one, we were getting all of this and none of this. Mm -hmm. And so before up until that year, we got all of that and none of that. And neither one of them is the right recipe. And so what we kind of figured out is, hey, like we can, if we both bring to the table what we're passionate about, it kind of fills the gaps on both sides. and. I think once we started doing that, you started seeing the offense just continue to grow, to grow, to grow, to shoot 22, 23. Or, I mean, we broke every offense record that was ever set at Maryland. We hit 130-plus homers in back-to-back years. I think saw a stat the other day that Maryland was second behind Tennessee in home runs over the last two years. We'd scored a ton of runs. We'd cut strikeouts. And we'd done a lot of that. So I think a lot of that was figuring out what our roles are and figure out what am I not good at. And surrounding myself with people that fill those gaps a little bit. But I think really the biggest thing was just being true to who I was, not trying I spent so like my biggest mentor in this game is Andy Sawyers. And I spent my first few years of coaching trying to be Andy Sawyers because I saw what he did for me. And I'm like, man, I gotta do that for other kids. But the problem is instead of just taking the good parts and the parts that fit my person i was trying to be him in a nutshell and i just wasn't being authentic to who i was as a person and i think as i've grown in this i've kind of figured that out a little bit and by no means have all the answers but i figured out how to kind of self-assess what am i not good at and how do i surround myself with people that that's their strengths and and you know i think that's one thing we learned very quickly is is you know, where do we fit? And then I dove into those things. And from a culture standpoint, I felt like we just didn't have a leg to stand on. You know, when things got hard, we didn't have pillars in the ground to stand on. And when adversity hit, there was just nothing our program was built on. So we started working through that. And I said, you know, I I hate acronyms. I, I think acronyms can be good, but I hate them when it's like, I remember one year we had like curves and it was like toughness, energy. Right, right. I was like, this is all BS. Cause I don't actually believe any of this stuff. It just kind of fits my letters here. So we kind of peeled it all back and we said, what do we care about? Like, who are we? What gets us out of bed in the morning that we really came from Simon Sinek's. It starts with why, like what is our why and what is the why of Maryland baseball? And we kind of went through this process as a coaching staff, talking about it, it took hours. This is not something we did lightly, we kind of came hey, like it's to be a character and leadership development program that trains people students and players to do it better than it's ever been done before Mm -hmm. that was our mission statement that's what got us out of bed in the morning that was our why for maryland baseball what we tried to do a little differently is we made our players memorize that like our players could quote that to you like that because i feel like most mission statements sit on a wall and not one employee it doesn't mean anything to anybody it's just some cool thing they did on the weekend so we drove the point home and like this is what we're all about. This is why we do what we do. And then we said, what what three pillars does our program stand on? And it was, you know, at Maryland and those have shifted a little bit since we were here, but it was ownership toughness and a growth mindset. Those were our three pillars. And we defined all of those. Like there was specific definitions to each one. And I think the beauty of that is. We now had oneness and clarity of mission. We knew who we were. We knew what we cared about. And we knew when when the rubber met the road and stuff got really hard um, that we had a we had a leg to stand on because of those things. And, and I think we all want success like that. And that's what I thought. I thought I would come in and it would just be like that. We're good. But I tell you, had we not been 24 and 30, had we just been a little better? We've been 31 and 24, 31. I probably don't do this deep dive because it's like, oh, we won 30 games. We were pretty good. But we sucked so bad that I didn't want to suck again. And we said, it's not because we don't have good players. We had good players. Um, I just feel like I didn't do a good job of leading it and setting the vision for what it was. And that's what I kind of learned through that process is my number one job, whether I'm on the field, off the field, CEOing or hands-on, it's to set the vision, to set the standard, and then uphold that standard for who we are. And I think as we've done that, we just saw the program continue to rise. and. I mean, let's also call it what it is. When you have guys like Matt Shaw and Nick LaRusso and Luke Slicker, that helps out a little bit too. Elite players help that out. But totally. I think that's what we kind of figured out through that process is who are we? Who authentically are we? What do we care about? And what is our program going to be built on? And we can deviate in some places, but we can never deviate off those things.
0: Love it. Okay. Uh, love to dive in. You, you said it sounds like you kind of not only went on a program self-awareness tour, but a personal self-awareness tour. What do you do well? Sounds like approach is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What do What do, What do you do well? And then I'm going to ask, what do you have to delegate? What don't you do well? And it sounds like the mechanic side is a, another. But yeah, first, what What do you What do you do well?
1: Yeah, I think when you talk about the the minutia of the game and the skill sets of being a baseball coach, I mean, I love game planning. Like I love football. I love college football and. I always say it like, you know, it was me and Swope for the most part back at Maryland, and and here at Alabama, it's me and Coach Papio, and who Pat played for me for four years at Maryland, and has coached with me for the last seven, and has had his hands in everything we've done, you know, for the last eleven years at Maryland, and you know, I always say this like, Pat's the quarterbacks coach, and I'm the offensive coordinator. That's kind of the vision of what I have. It every day when we hit our guys start inside with Coach Papio, and they're doing their movement prep stuff, they're doing whatever it is that they they're kind of daily vitamins their daily correctives the stuff that those individuals need and he loves that stuff he's good at that He is a very detail oriented person and i think that's perfect when you get in there and the other thing that both swope and pat have just in spades is those players know how much they care about them mm-hmm. the amount of time that those guys spend not even not even hitting with them but just spending time with them in. It's, it's unbelievable. And that's some stuff that those guys do extraordinarily well. I love, I love on field stuff. I love saying like, okay, you built this wing, I'm going to go battle test that thing, you know, and, and I think our biggest job as a head coach, and I think it is something that I do pretty well is, I think our biggest job is creating the right environment, creating an environment where Guys are going to compete, but even more than that, creating this environment where they're not afraid to fail. That's one of the things we talk about all the time is be unafraid to crash and burn. That's an old Matt Degg saying he used to say all the time, being unafraid to crash and burn. And and that's what I want. I want I we train hard like I literally sent a practice plan to our guys this morning. And I told him, I said, you better be ready to go today because it's the hardest thing I've thrown at you. And you just have to keep your feet moving like it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And every one of them are going to fail today. They're going to struggle today. But just don't tap out. Just keep showing up. Just keep coming and just keep coming and just keep coming. And that's what I feel like I've done pretty well. Now, there's two things I think that are, are attributes of that most really good head coaches have that is a struggle for me. and." you know, number one is, is I would say I care what people think way too much. Mm. You know, and I think it's a hard, that's a hard thing. Like I want to say, oh, I don't care. I'm going to march and beat my own drum, but I think deep down inside of me, I really care what people think. And that can be a challenge sometimes. I feel like, you know, a lot of these, these head coach shoot, I have a great one right across the way. I don't know how much Nick Saban cares what many people think about. Him. that guy knows what he's going to do, knows who he is, and he's going to go out and do his thing, whether you like it or not. and his, one of the most successful coaches. I think I think we'll talk about him the way we talk about John Wooden one day, you know, and, and, you know, another thing is just very honestly is confrontation. And like, people can tell you this, like group confrontation is pretty easy when I've got to go get lay into our team. That's not a hard thing. Like I'm, I can handle that one. That's okay. More confrontation with staff members, confrontation, And what I mean by that is not screaming and yelling, but sure. let's have that hard conversation. You know, that's something that, that I have to be very, very conscious of. Of, It's easy for me to address a group of 20 guys and kind of get in there on them a little bit if I need to, if the effort's not right, if we're lazy, if we're not doing things right. When I've got to call Coach Pap in the office and sit down and talk to him and say, like, hey, I don't like this. We've got to clean this up. I don't like the way you're, you're responding to this. I don't like the way we're doing this. Those are just by nature harder. Those take a lot out of me. Those are harder yeah. conversations to have. Um, and fortunately, like my first hire, as a head coach back in Maryland. It's a guy named Corey Mascara. Corey's the pitching coach. Just to name, the you know D one baseball assistant coach of the year at Wake Forest. But you know Moose came down from St. John's, and for those that know Moose, like that guy tells you exactly what he thinks when he thinks it, and is. He's, you know, exactly what he's thinking at any given point, but I needed that, right? Like, I think him and I did a really good job of balancing each other out. Like, I think I pulled him a little bit from being less emotional to being a little more understanding when to use it. And he pulled me a little bit more towards like, hey, when you got to address something, you need to address it. And I was 29. He was 32. We're both young and fiery and and I think it was really good for. Us. So I think from the minutia of the game, that's part of it is I, I like the broad strokes, the creating environment, creating that stuff, kind of casting vision for a group and intimately and playing to get there. I love that stuff. Um, and I think I'm pretty good at that piece of it. I think some of the some of the interpersonal workings are things that I have to consciously be aware of in in get outside of my comfort zone and be willing to have those harder conversations sooner. Like usually I have them, but usually because I wait and wait and wait and wait, those conversations are a heck of a lot harder than if you just knit yep. the button. Yeah.